It was the dawn of our new empire's birth, led by a newly crowned emperor. The people breathed a sigh of relief at the thought that there was to be an era of peace among other provinces. Merchants wrung their hands with thoughts of filling their pockets with wealth of lands that had been unexplored for centuries, and scholars eagerly pondered on what knowledge was hidden from them during the wars. Countless years of bloodshed and loss would earn them this new era of comfort. Wives sacrificed their husbands and children sacrificed their brothers, relieved that their suffering was coming to an end. If even a year of peace would go by, then they would have time to satisfy their grief. All this was to be ensured by their new leader, even if many were uninformed of who he was at this time. This man who crowned himself the victor of the long conflict was Hamamoto Tatsuo, widely regarded as the strongest man within the Japanese provinces, and now having earned himself the title of emperor, he was uncontested in his political supremacy. His first orders were announced even before the ceremony in which he was to be coronated. The order within the day was distributed among his new armies, and operations to fulfill them were underway within the hour. As far as citizens were concerned, the orders were to bring about the peace they so desired. To anyone who was keenly aware of what the order contained, it was that of a strict and powerful command. Only in its extent to consume the nation had the war concluded. It was now to be fought in small fields and rural villages. Kill those who oppose you, gentlemen. Hamamoto Tatsuo stated to the scribe, who was to write the orders. By any means possible, and you have my express permission to take whatever you need from the village to do so. Now that I have seized my rightful place as ruler of the nation, there are those who will oppose my rule. Ronin, who call themselves samurai, are currently wandering my territory. Should they not submit under my rule, you are to slaughter them where they stand. It took but a scant few months for the Emperor's words to be known throughout the lands, and it rightfully rubbed those whose deaths he ordered upon the wrong way. The path forward for dissenters was clear. Slay the dragon, secure their own future, and prove themselves the greatest in the land. It was during the conflict before Emperor Tatsuo that her father became famous for his craftsmanship. Yukanu Sage was born a humble blacksmith but converted to the art of gunsmithing early within his life. Recognizing both his skill and craftsmanship, his lord employed his services regularly. Yukanu was held in such high regard in his lord's eyes that he became quite wealthy and was able to employ several others under him. After a decade of work, under his lord, he brought forth a child who shuddered at the sight of the father's face. Amused by his daughter's timidness, he named her Uchikina, meaning shy, and brought her up without her mother as she passed away due to complications after Uchikina's birth. In his daughter, he found peace unlike that of any he'd ever experienced, and as a result, doted on her to no end. Uchikina never knew want as she grew up, but she knew desire. While watching her father work, she yearned to insist him in any way. She was grown to some extent before her father accepted the spark of passion he saw in her eyes and gave her what she wanted. Under the tutelage of her father, Uchikina was made to test the weapons produced by his company. Paid like any other staffer, Uchikina became family among her father's men who saw her as a sister or daughter. Gunfire was constant outside the smithy, and on the small range as she improved her aim, it was not uncommon that Yukana would treat his daughter's hand of blisters when turning in after a long day's work. 
often he'd tell his daughter to rest and that such hands were unbecoming of a young maiden. Still, she would arrive at the range no later than an hour after the arrival of her father to test the modifications that they would make. It humored the two that they were thick as thieves, even as they grew older. Even still, Yukana taught his daughter that of what he believed to be key wifely duties, taking it upon learning the skills himself. Together, the two could produce a feast large enough to feed the workers within the shop. The task of cooking was, in fact, the only of the wifely duties that Uchikina took after, citing the fact that cooking was the only one of the tasks which required an exquisite precision. This type of lifestyle went on for eight long and wondrous years of Uchikina's life. At this point now, men from the village had offered to be suitors and did their best to impress Yukana to win his daughter's hand. Together, the father and daughter devised a relatively effortless scheme to weed out the unsuitable suitors. Each suitor would try to prove their worthiness by a contest of marksmanship. Few even knew of Uchikina's skills with a rifle and were swiftly beaten without mercy. However, there was one suitor, a samurai of their lord that Uchikina found fetching in a manner. Intentionally, she lost her bout of marksmanship with the samurai, and the two were soon wed. The two's marital bliss was not long for this world. As a year into their blissful marriage, their town was under siege. Uchikina's husband fought bravely in the conflict, but was slain by the enemy. Her father fared no better. Alone and without any kin or a home, Uchikina found herself enveloped in a warrior's rage. She took it upon herself to gather those who were capable of fighting to train under her wing. Within months, the hundred under her were experts in marksmanship. Their fighting was akin to that of natives located in the American continents. While many would consider that style as cowardly, it mattered not to Uchikina. Her objective was not to act with honor, but only to avenge the losses she had suffered. Yusagi-sensei, we've reached word from the capital. At the time, Uchikina was cleaning a rifle and modifying it with tools she had become aware of were in use throughout the European peninsula. She looked up to the young scout who was meant to dwell among the citizens of any given town and gather information. A spy of sorts. Carefully, she stands up and strains her yukata. What is it? Still focused, her voice came out jaded to the dismay of the messenger. There, there's another ronin leader here who wishes to speak to you about the subject. Sighing, Uchikina motioned to dismiss the scout from her room so that she may don her armor. It was light in weight and allowed her to move almost effortlessly on the battlefield, though not many had seen the ronin leave her burrow in conflicts. Ujikina had put virtually everything on, including her hat, but carried her mask, which was synonymous to her identity as the hair in hand. Upon exiting the room, she was led by her scout to a small hut not more than 200 meters away. Several soldiers stood outside the building, though their armor bore no crest obscuring their affiliation. Whoever soldiers they were, they were not her own, and that put her in a marginal state of wariness. Dismissing the scout once more, she stood at the entrance of the main room in which she was to conduct her business. She took a moment to smell the air, trying to reason what was inside if it were possible threat, but there was no discernible malice beyond the paper-thin pane. Beyond the entrance, she found only the smell of fried pork and steamed rice, which is unbefitting for anyone who wished to meet her. Entering the room, she quickly discerned both the purpose and the ronin behind her visit. 
A man known simply as the elephant sat before her eating his meal undisturbed by the presence of the air, who stared at him hard. She took note of the odachi laid next to him, casually enough that he would not be able to draw it by the time she could draw her tantutu. It must be said about the elephant that his skin was dark as ink or coal and that it could reasonably be discerned by any native that he was not born of this place. His stature alone was enough to determine that, standing he was greater than seven feet tall and sitting he still towered over those who sat before him. In battle he wielded his monstrous blade like an ordinary katana. He was a strong warrior, to say the least. Respectfully, Uchikina sits down on the cushion directly across from the elephant, who looks at her with his sharp judgmental eyes. In an attempt to show some sign of peace, the elephant slides part of his meal across, offering it to the hare. Uchikina takes a bowl of rice as a gesture of goodwill, deciding not to eat the meat he'd provided. Apparently, we are a dying breed, hare. The elephant starts, not looking up from the meal spread out in front of him. The new emperor has put a death sentence on us. Any ronin who will not align themselves under his new rule will be considered enemies of the nation. You presume I will not align myself with the Emperor Elephant? She says harshly as she indulges herself in some barley tea left out on the table. Because he aligns himself with the same army which took your village and brought desolation upon your lord. That, Hare, is why I believe you would not align yourself with our new Emperor. His words shook Uchikina as she remembered that day when burning arrows struck her home as frequently as rain. And you assume I would join you under your banner? The elephant laughs heartily before coughing as some of the food he was eating went down the wrong pipe. Uchikina found the laughter disgusting as some of the food splayed out on the table. No, no. I assure you, Hare. You would not last long among my infantry. That, of course, is no disrespect to your skill on the battlefield. This is merely a formality to let you know of the impending conflict. The Emperor will be sending his armies to kill you, and he will be coming after the rest of us. He spoke with a clear tone, and taking a swift sip of his tea, he stares at the hare. This was merely a warning on your behalf. I only hope the best for you and your warband. My army will be leaving this territory at dawn tomorrow. From there, we are on our own. Should we encounter each other on the battlefield, I'd hope that we would be allies. In a gesture of good faith, the ronin slides a tanto across the table. On the hilt of the blade were similar images and carvings to the ones on his zodachi. He then stands up, covering Uchikina in his shadow and holding his blade by his side. Thank you for the gift, Elephant. I shall return it to you when we've conquered our enemy. She holsters the new tanto in place of her old one, and before setting it on the table. The elephant takes the blade and examines it in his giant hands, making the blade seem like it was no more than a splinter. I shall be looking forward to that, Hare. Now, please excuse me. I must thank the Mr. and Mrs. of the household for this wondrous food. With his final statement, the elephant exited the room, leaving the Hare to realize that he'd consumed the entirety of a pig while dining in the household. Mysterious as he was, and despite the two sharing no allegiance, they were partners, so long as the dragon's rule was in order. Setting the Tanagashima back on her shoulder, she exits to the awaiting scout who trails behind her. Impatience and unrest now ran throughout her mind as she contemplated whether to attack the dragon head-on, or to wait. 
Even overwhelmed by her desire to avenge those she'd lost, Ujikina knew that her feverish thinking was irrational. Yusagi-sensei, what are your orders? Hesitantly, the scout says in hopes of not displeasing his master. Processing her thoughts and subduing her rationality, she began to formulate a plan. We'll ride out in three days. Tell everyone to clean their weapons and ready their horses. We shall make our way towards the capital, but before then, I'd like to gather some assistance from the deer before we siege the capital. The answer seemed rational enough to Uchikina, as she realized the size and scope of the dragon's army far outshone her own. It seemed the key to defeating them would be to amass a vast number of allies. Her scout left quickly to inform those in her army of the news. An army consisting of several hundred soldiers could put up a fight to be sure, but perhaps gathering more into a war band from other provinces was the wiser course of action. She'd lay her head down to rest within a room while dreaming about how her life was torn asunder. Mentally, she would not be held captive by such thoughts for long as it then drifted to her work as the leader of a war band for hire. Discovering an appropriate tactic for his soldiers' versatility and their prevalent use of firearms on the battlefield. While in the midst of her dreams when she was training within a snow-enveloped forest, she noticed the smell of smoke rising from the cedar. Quickly, though, she realized that this was not how the memory was supposed to be. Usually they hunted a great many rabbits and left the forest before they were shrouded in darkness, returning to their homes to feast on their prey. Abruptly, she sat straight up smelling the rising black gas from below the floorboards. Even deep in her sleep, she realized that the home she'd taken and respite in was engulfed by fire. Aside a door, she could hear the sounds of Tanegashima being fired as well as a greater officers giving orders. Within moments, she dons her armor again before escaping out the window, figuring that the floor below was more than likely already consumed in flames. She saw the men that she was up against, clearly in the light cast by fires. Foot soldiers all dressed in black armor under the banner of a figure looking like a filthy swine. Ujikina aimed her rifle at one of the foot soldiers, who were in direct conflict with her men. The booming sound of the shots seemed to stop the battle as those fighting looked upon the woman donning the mask of a hare. Men! Show those under the banner of swine we are nothing to scoff at! The rallying Kai sent a surge of spirit throughout the disorganized troops. The Kadachi and matchlock pistols drawn the battle slowly began to turn to the hare's favor. Effortlessly, she reloads her rifle, continuing to fire towards the enemy troops, whose attention was strained heavily due to the new resistance of Uchikina's troops. Smiling, Uchikina reveled in the sounds of the enemy falling to her soldiers' blades. Their ambush was falling apart, but their leader was nowhere to be seen to her dismay. <laughs> the laughter had almost blended into the crackling sound of flames around her in the battle ahead, jumping to the side, barely avoiding Kanabu that was swung with such force that it had broken part of the building's infrastructure. Behind the club was a man covered head to toe in heavy armor, with a mask resembling that of a boar with ivory tusk. Slowly he moved his massive frame through the window and revealed himself wholly. As a wide set as he was, it was surely not fat, but of honed muscle like that of sumo wrestlers. Standing at his full height, he continued with his unsettling laughter. In his armor, he undoubtedly weighed a quarter of a ton and his weapon alone, twenty pounds with the iron shrouding it. I've been advised to give you a warning, Hare. As arduous as it may have been to move in the armor, the boar was in no way tired or exerted. If anything, he was invigorated by the flames and his movement grew swifter with time. 
Join the dragon or die where you stand. I and my army will not join under the crown of a butcher such as the dragon. In a fit of what can only be considered utter confidence, the boar tilts his head back and bellows a peal of laughter throughout the night's air. His grip visibly tightens on the kanabu before he returns the gaze of the air. I figured. No more words were spoken between the two as he swings the kanabu, forcing the hare to jump off the roof, landing precariously but uninjured below. Without hesitation, her opponent followed suit, a dust cloud jutting up as he lands. Unfaltering, he followed up that first strike with another swing, forcing a retreat. Ujikina then adjusts her grip on the Tanishikima to try out her new modification to the rifle, sliding the Tanto she had received from the elephant into its place. While this tool had emerged within the last four decades in the European peninsula, within France, it was commonly used by musketeers and the hare had made modifications similar to improve her own firearms. They called it a bayonet. Whether it be sword or knife, it was an extension of one's rifle, making it fare far greater in close combat. The hare seems to have found its hop, I see. The man calls out with malicious intent behind his voice. Rhythmically, in a demonstrated pattern, the hare jumps side to side, making sure to keep her bayonet lowered. While she knew of the existence of the bayonet, she was keenly unaware of how one might optimally fight with it. Under her father, and during that segment of her life, she briefly studied a few swordsmanship techniques, though never properly picked them up. Even after her husband tried to teach her these same techniques, she found the smell of gunpowder far more enduring to the sparks of blades. Just as she had found her methods of using the Tanegashima, she'd invent a martial art of the bayonet. Lunging three times, she attempts to strike the armored boar, though his endurance was something to behold. Continuously, he laughs all the while, making his own attempts at striking her with the kanabu. Each was matched to fit each other's combative nature equally. The boar had impeccable defense and endurance, while the hare had agility and range at her side. You are a fitting opponent to test my bayonet, boar. Jikina tries to drive the blade through the boar, who again avoids her attack, finding himself getting cockier. He goes to swing at the hare's head, but steadily in a rhythm she jumps back before pivoting the blade down low. It manages to strike the back of the boar's leg, causing him to release another noise besides his incessant laughter. Any warrior who'd been cut in such a region of the leg would have been expected to fall, incapable of further combat, but the boar stood tall, only losing his jovial spirit, replacing it with one of pure malice. His eyes meet that of the hare's, and she shudders at the resolve behind him. The next strike he made was aimed towards Uchikina's center. Defensively, she raises her Tanegashima to protect her from a surely fatal blow, instead only bruising her side and breaking a handful of ribs. The force of the strike was enough to send her sprawling on the ground. Today I kill the hare. The boar starts out in a sing-song tone before laughing. It was too late for Uchikina to draw her matchlock pistol and impossible for her to make any movement that might save her. Her end drew near as the boar prepared to strike with the heavy weapon. Yet the cutting of flesh once more permeated the air as a shadow consumed the two combatants. In shock, the boar slowly lowers his weapons, looking at the wound with disbelief. With great effort, he turned around to see the elephant yawn before sheathing his blade in his cold metal scabbard. From Uchikina's point of view, it was almost comical how casually the elephant had struck down what she'd believed to be an impossibly strong opponent. Ah! The boar cries out, swinging one last time at his newest assailant, 
rather than dodge the attack, the elephant uses his metal sheath to take the weakened blow, then proceeds to strike the boar with the sheathed blade, causing him to fall to the ground. He stands over him, looking with contempt at the cut-down foe. Pledge allegiance to me, or die here. It seemed the order had left the elephant's lips too late as the body of the boar fell limp, his spear now leaving the powerful vessel it went once occupied. Thank you, elephant. It was no problem. He disturbed my army's rest. Along with your troops, they should have already dealt with the attacking forces. Suppose we'll be leaving now. The elephant's eyes catch the tanto he'd given her and picks it up off the ground. I believe this is yours, and I'd suggest you take better care of a gift. Taking the weapon from the elephant's impossibly large hand, she clutches the blade, finding her own strength disappointing. At the dawn of the next day, half of the village was burned down and those who had found themselves capable earnestly joined the warbands to seek revenge. While she had solved the issue of the number of recruits under her, she still needed to visit the deer and make his acquaintance. Determined in having realized the value of learning close quarters combat, she would need to practice with her bayonet. She knew that the days before would be filled with trials and conflict beyond that of simply avenging those who were wrongfully killed.